Hi, and welcome to the IDOC Focal Point Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Vargo, and it's a pleasure to talk with Bill Gerber today, and I appreciate him coming on to the, uh, the podcast. Bill, you, this is usually the part I introduce the guest, and I, I just thought, you know, nobody knows you better than you, so maybe I'll just give you a minute or so to talk about you. Who, who is Bill Gerber? I, I think maybe a lot of people have probably seen you speak, seen you on social media, writing articles, that, that uh, sort of thing, but, but go ahead and just give me a little bit of background on you. Well, thanks, Steve. I appreciate the invitation and the opportunity to be here. Um, so I'll go back a little ways. Uh, I am a Southern California native. I was raised in a place called Del Mar, California, and uh, I live very close to that place now uh, in a town called Solana Beach. Um, we have our business here, just literally down the street. Uh, I'm at home today. And um, I got involved in the optical industry sort of on a fluke. Uh, honestly, I was just finishing up college and uh, I was dating a gal, and her dad happened to run an eyewear company. Uh, and after him um, encouraging me to stop seeing his daughter, uh, he realized I was going to be around for a while, I guess. And uh, so uh, he offered me a job as a sales rep. Uh, that company is called Neo Style Eyewear. And uh, I had the good fortune of marrying his daughter, having three great kids, and uh, working for him for about 12 years. Um, his name was Helmut Eigel, and I, I appreciate everything he uh, did for me, which is to uh, give me kind of a carte blanche to travel the country, uh, US and Canada and Europe too, and learn the industry. And so I uh, worked in the industry, um, you know, in, in the frame business as a sales rep and a sales manager, marketing director. And I always had a, a thing for design. My dad was an architect and uh, he's quite um, accomplished uh, modern architect. And I never really wanted to be in architecture because he'd always complain about it. But, um, uh, but I always was into design. So I started doing a lot of displays and POP and things like that in, uh, when I was with NeoStyle. And then I had this idea, let, let's start a company doing uh, merchandising. So I started a company called Delectable Display, ran that for the better part of 10 years and then uh, sold that off uh, and did a lot of independent consulting for eyewear brands, independent ODs, chain operations, and the like uh, on customer experience, sales, merchandising, marketing, and uh, performance enhancement, um, you know, really around the optical side of the business mostly, but, you know, all sorts of things. And um, during that time, we got a lot of requests from, from clients to actually fulfill the recommendations that we were making as consultants. And so that's when I started OMG, Optical Marketing Group. Uh, started that about seven years ago. And uh, so we're running that. We have a whole team of interior designers, um, uh, you know, other designers as well, production people and so forth. And we build out complete spaces and do all sorts of signage and graphics. Uh, to really make an incredible consumer a patient experience. And then uh, we started ContentLink uh, about four years ago to bring digital and digital signage to the space. And so between those two, uh, it's keeping me very, very busy. And uh, we have a fabulous team here in San Diego that works with ODs all over the U.S. and Canada now. Bill, you, you, know, you mentioned a couple things there in you mentioned the customer experience you mentioned uh, obviously the the design component is a big part of your background and your expertise i don't know if you've ever heard this but I, i've heard this before that 
in any experience, we're most likely to remember the beginning and the end. And I, I've always really leaned heavily into first impressions. When somebody walks into a practice, um, I, I even took that into consideration when I was practicing and my first interaction when I walked into the room, that, that, that that's what they're going to remember. A lot of things happen in between. It's kind of like a movie. You're more likely to remember the beginning and the end. You forget a lot of things in the middle. True. I'm curious from your, um, your vantage point in terms of creating that first impression in the optical, because somebody walks into the practice, they open the door, they walk in. A lot of times, I think it should be, one of the first things they see is that, that retail side. Um, can you speak to that? I mean, how do you, how, how do you approach that in, in your design and your philosophy? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, uh, I think it's evolved, definitely, especially over the last 10 years. Um, uh, before, when we were designing practices, we'd really think about the physical space, you know, as, as really it, right? You walk in, you get that impression. Uh, but now we really think about the digital impression that people have, because we know in our category, there's one of the most searched uh, categories and uh, typically people are, are looking at the Google reviews or looking at the pictures of the place and so forth. So we, we like to take into consideration what that image is uh, that people have online first and then make sure that that image uh, goes together properly with the physical space. Mm -hmm. So, and we do a lot of work with our, with our clients to make sure that we understand the, uh, the vibe that they're trying to project and really the, uh, the, impression you know are they tech forward uh is it more of a homey type of place is it you know personalized service or is it you know we have 1500 frames to choose from so we really want to uh, make sure that within really the first five seconds of entering the facility that somebody has a very clear understanding of what this place is about so and there's a lot of factors that that certainly go into that but i think the um you know they say, and you, we've all heard it before, you don't have a second chance to make it first impressions. Mm -hmm. But you open that door, you have to have a wow experience. Otherwise, it could go downhill from there. Yeah, well, that's a good point. But you're also saying that that starts even before they come in, in the digital aspect of it, too, and the website oh, yeah. and, and, and the marketing. Um, and that's a good point. I go to so many websites that are just the stock photo of other people and other, okay. you know, but you know, actually starting to communicate that even before they come into the office. Yeah, no doubt. I, I see, um, you know, quite frankly, so many ineffective websites. Uh, and then also, you know, people oftentimes, I don't think recognize the fact that there's Google photos. You know, when you pull somebody up, there's photos right there. There's photos of the outside. Um, you know, there's, they're pulling photos from Facebook, Instagram, and other places. And those things all do create um, a first impression. And uh, it's pretty safe to say that a lot of people are deciding to not visit a specific practice based on that impression. Um, and they're looking for the place that uh, aligns more closely with, with what uh, makes them comfortable and what uh, you know, perhaps turns them on from a retail perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think that goes a long way toward that, that first perception and getting people to want to actually visit the optical. There, there's a sort of disconnect sometimes when you start looking at even some metrics around capture rates and things like that. Patient comes in, they go in for their exam. Doctors who are complaining about not selling a lot of frames or low capture rate. And I, I'm pretty sure a great way to not sell a pair of glasses is make sure the patient never gets to the optical. So <laughs> if for no if for well, other reason, how do we, and, and having that great imagery, uh, and that great optical helps at least reinforce that. But maybe this is um, a topic that you could speak to as well on the doctor's side. 
because there's a lot of uh, differences of opinion in what the doctor's role should be in, in quote unquote selling. And I know doctors yeah. don't really like that term, but what would you say they should be doing in the exam room to get the patient to go visit the optical? Even if they're not 100% sold on buying glasses, there's got to be something that happens there that at least gets them motivated to want to go visit the optical and talk to the optician. Yeah, no, no question about it, Steve. I think that um, you know, research has proven out the fact that uh, most people decide if they're going to visit the optical pre-exam, okay? Mm-hmm. And if you have a, uh, a crusty old optical or something that's just, you know, okay, but not great, people are making that decision. So I think uh, a lot of it certainly starts with the first impressions and, um, and, you know, whether or not the waiting area is combined with the optical. I mean, we know just, just alone, and I'll get to the uh, idea of what, what's happening in the exam lane and uh, answer your question. Um, but we know for a fact that uh, uh, just one simple thing of blending the waiting space and the optical mm-hmm. can have a sales differential of as much as 40%. So people like to browse and so forth. Um, but one thing that uh, I've seen that really works is, is really a, a system uh, of lifestyle discussion, lifestyle questionnaires, and a system that also incorporates a written optical treatment plan. Uh, I've seen so many practices, we've helped you know, literally hundreds of practices get up and running on the system, but uh, the whole thing is to find out as much as possible as we can about that individual that you're dealing with. You know, are they... Uh, on the computer, obviously, are they a bird watcher? Or are they a swimmer, or a hiker, or a biker, whatever? What's what's their thing? What do they do? Um, and then, how does the visual, How does the RX uh, tie together with those lifestyle needs? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that big part of it too, Steve, is making sure that people are very tuned in to the idea. And this is from the doctor's perspective: the idea that. Uh, a single pair solution is really only addressing one finite part of an individual's needs. Um, and in my case, uh, I'll tell you, you know, through the course of the day, I wear three or four different pairs of eyewear. And, you know, I want to have optimal vision uh, during all my waking hours. And I think that's the approach um, that, that really works. And I think what's been really interesting, especially as people have been reopening, is this idea of taking more time and learning more about the patient, really getting to understand what that person's all about. Um, And I'm hearing uh, reports. In fact, I just uh, was on uh, a call earlier today with a doctor in Texas who said that their their May was up 22% over last year's May, Mm -hmm. and they are seeing 70% of the patients. I said, what is it? And he said, well, we're just taking time and he said, we had always rushed to efficiency and processing patients as fast as we could. Now, he goes, I think we're rethinking everything now. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm hearing that too from a lot of practices are that are, are saying that we, we, you know, we kind of been forced to change our model. And it's, you know, some doctors are looking at it and saying, what do we want to keep? I mean, there's some things here that we were, we're doing that's actually working that we we're able to see, we're able to measure. And I think we are, now I don't know from a volume standpoint, you know, some offices have gone to a model that's probably not sustainable long-term seeing one patient an hour, but where do we really bump up the, the level of service where we can maybe see more, maybe we need to improve efficiencies or things like that, that allow us to spend more time with the patients. So, you know, 
I actually, I'm, I'm about ready. To, this is one of the benefits of doing your own podcast, Bill. You get yeah. to, you get to uh, promote your own crap. Uh, so I got a, a book coming out in July and it, it's on this topic. It's really how do we get people to go from hearing information to acting on it? And the first chapter is called Curiosity is Caring. And it really leans into the idea that we need to really learn, like you just said, what's important to them. What's in, as consumers, we're incredibly narcissistic. It, we can be great people, compassionate people, empathetic people, but we just operate from a different part of the brain. But when you go into consumer bill, consumer, Steve, we become very, you know, what's in it for me. So the best way you can approach that, whether you're selling a pair of glasses or trying to get somebody to be more compliant with medication is really trying to find out what, what are their drives? What are their motivations? What's important to them? And I think we're seeing that play out with a lot of these offices. I'm excited about your book. I'm looking for some good summer reading and I uh, can't wait to yeah, I, read it. I, I've, I've been working on it for about two years and it really, I, I just, I tell you the frustration that I keep hearing is that we are, you know, doctors, as doctors, they'll say we, we're educating, we're informing, and they can do that till they're blue in the face. But if patients don't act on the information, then you're not really all that impactful. You're just educating people, but they're not doing anything. So I really sought to better understand how do you actually motivate people to change um, in ways that benefit their vision their health and their well-being. So my hope is that it gives them some tools to be more effective with, um, with doing that. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, my partner in our software company, ContentLink, is a gentleman named Azar Zubri. Um, he's a very, very accomplished software engineer. And uh, it wasn't until we joined uh, forces that uh, about four years ago that he entered the optical space. Mm -hmm. uh, he's been wearing glasses since he was, um, I think, 10 years old. And he said until he started working on digital lens demos, he had never heard of computer lenses. Mm -hmm. Okay. Never heard of computer lenses. He's today is in his uh, mid forties, uh, later forties now. And uh, sorry if I revealed that as hard, but um, you're so youthful looking. Um, but in any case, he said, you know what? He, he started working these demos. What is a computer lens? How can that benefit me? And I asked him, I just off the cuff one day, what, what would that have been worth to you all these years after now owning computer lenses and benefiting it? He said, I don't know, five, 10 grand a year? Yeah, yeah. Really? So very, very interesting uh, uh, opportunities that exist to help people get what they need and want. So, and I think we've halfway answered the next question I was going to ask you, but in, in terms of price, I, I think a lot of people do walk in, and we do it too as consumers when yeah. we're in the market for something that maybe we don't understand real well. I think it's safe to say that the average consumer who's not an optometrist, who doesn't have background in eye care, doesn't really understand lenses and frames and quality very well, and probably does walk through the door of an optometry practice with, with price on their mind. What does my vision insurance, you know, my benefits cover? Um, some offices are much more effective than others at getting people's mind off price. So mm -hmm. can you speak to that? I mean, what do you see? And, and obviously a big part of your brand is built around that, creating that first impression, value. I mean, what, if, if yeah. I were to ask you how, my, all my patients care about is price. I don't really think that's true, but that's what we hear. How, what would your response to that be? Yeah, I think, I think price is a, a super legitimate concern and price is where our brain goes when we are commoditizing mm -hmm. things, right? Um, that's, that's our, the first place you go. And, um, and there's no, it's no wonder that people are so into price in our space because we've done it to ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Bogos, uh, two for 
$29, you know, online plays. And so it's really the commoditization, you know, it's just um, hanging out with my parents last night. And, uh, and uh, uh, my dad said, gosh, you know, because I just went down to such and such a place and uh, he had an exam last week. He said, their, their stuff's really expensive. I said, compared to what? He said, well, you know, you could go online and you could get a pair for $49. Mm. And, and uh, he said, but I know, he goes, I know the difference. He goes, I know the difference. And uh, so he kind of like talked himself into this mm -hmm. idea that, yeah, it was totally worth it. Um, but I think if, if price, if that's the thing that we're getting all the time, and I don't think we've done a good job of helping the client or the patient really understand the true value of vision. Um, there's an OD I know in Florida who asks this question at the beginning of every exam. He says, what percentage of your waking hours would you like to see perfectly clear, mm -hmm. right? Very straight face, uh, very earnest um, in the way that he approaches that. And I, I believe that that sort of um, idea around vision optimization and around performance optimization will help that portion of your patient base. And I'm not saying that every patient is going to be like, yeah, I'm going to spend $5,000 just because we're talking vision optimization. But I do believe that um, in the average practice, 60 to 80% of the patient base uh, will move in the direction of quality if they know that you're addressing what's in it for me. Right. So that's, um, I, I think it's super important that we, uh, that we um, tell the stories, we share the examples, we, we make uh, people understand that, um, you know, your life can be a lot better and here's the associated cost with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to your father who figured it out on his own, that's great for him. I think for a lot of other people, they need our help. One of the things I even talk about in the book is, is contrast. There's yeah. the, the, the neurology is really interesting on how we make decisions and our the part of the brain that we make a lot of our decisions with, it's not the logical, the intellectual yeah. side of our brain. In fact, it's more emotionally driven and it responds to things like visuals. It responds to things like stories. It responds to things like contrast, which is what you're talking about before. Your dad was smart enough to figure it out on his own. But when we don't know the difference between two competing options, then, then price does become the difference. We have to be able to demonstrate contrast between the two. And we actually, we do this every day as ODs when we ask people which is better, one or two, right? Yeah. So true. when you say one, when the choice is obvious, you, you're, you're like, you can't wait to answer it. You feel very sure of yourself, right? You got one that's real blurry, one that's clear, which is better one or two. Oh, that's one. It's, it's, it's obvious. But what starts to happen when that choice isn't so obvious and they start to look alike, right? People become very non-committal to their answers. It's the same thing in, in any, when you're considering purchasing a product, considering a service, if we can't tell the difference between the two, you become very unsure and you become very non-committal, which is really it's a great place to be for a refraction because that's right where we need you. But sure. for sales and, and for getting people to kind of move forward, it's really disadvantageous if you're trying to sell something and, and people can't tell the difference. Yeah, no question. I think there's a, a lot of psychology that goes into uh, all of this, right? And, um, and I, you know, we've started to do a lot of work on addressing capture rate, you know, because a lot of our clients, they ask us, well, well, gee, if I spend 100 grand or 50 grand, whatever I'm going to spend uh, to upgrade my facility, uh, what's my ROI, right? And uh, so, you know, we obviously need to answer that question. And, you know, we have seen these uh, 
these increases in capture with not only um, upgrading the space itself, so it looks better and it looks more legitimate when somebody is making a you know, thousand, two thousand um, dollar uh, optical treatment plan, um, but we've also seen you know, all sorts of uh, increases in capture that end up being um, uh, you know, uh, trackable. You know, the, the, and especially on, uh, you know, we're measuring uh, satisfaction. Uh, you know, some people just do a net promoter score, which is cool. Mm -hmm. um, I like a little bit more uh, depth. But, you know, this idea that um, capture is relative to convenience. And, you know, people don't want to go elsewhere to buy mm -hmm. glasses, right? Or contacts. You're they there. Really right, you're there. Were, yeah. Right, you're there. Come on. And, and I think, you know, we, we started to talk about it. One of my... Um, a new, newer team member said, you know, it's really, let's not call it cash rate anymore. Let's call it the abuse rate. Kind of turn the tables. And I was like, the abuse rate? Wow, that's, that's really fascinating. So, you know, we start to look at it from those terms and say, okay, what, are we doing a good enough job, you know, as, uh, as practitioners, and in our case, as merchandisers and experience creators, to do everything possible to make staying there and buying the materials that are part of the RX um, the, the, the smart choice, right? Mm. And, uh, and it's, it, there's a lot of work to it. You know, there's the environment, there's the people, there's the doctor, there's the confidence, there's all these things that have to come together like a, uh, like a well-oiled machine. But when it does, man, that is uh, mm -hmm. a beautiful thing. How, um, what, would you say to an office that is a lot of offices now dealing with online opticals and people can take mm -hmm. their scripts and order glasses offline. Obviously there's service components of that, yeah. that you're, that are missing. Yeah. There's, you know, there, there are quality issues that could be pointed yeah. out, but where would you hang your hat on without sounding desperate, but, mm -hmm. and people have the right to, to buy wherever they want, but where, what are the biggest things that you would say you're missing out on by not doing your business here with us? Yeah. So, uh, I, I'll relate a couple of stories because I think this is um, particularly relevant. So I, I have a number of clients who've adopted this, uh, the language of, you know, we believe in complete eye care, right? Mm -hmm. And to have us fulfill your prescription, uh, that ensures the continuity of care the cycle of care. And we really feel strongly about that. And they, they're upfront, look, you have choices. You can go online, you can go to a competitor, you can go wherever and get your glasses, your contacts. But when you stay with us, you're, you have that part of your life covered. You know, life's complicated as is. You, uh, you probably wouldn't, you know, if you went to your dentist, you probably wouldn't go out and say, oh, I'm gonna get my crown <laughs> elsewhere, right? The dentist is just going to provide that. So I think that whole idea of continuity of care um, is, is the a foundational message that we really have to be promoting. Um, and I think we also need to be bold uh, as an industry and as ODs and, and uh, people communicating with the patient um, to, to stand up and say, look, this is exactly why you should buy from us, right? A lot of people say, oh my gosh, I don't want to I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but uh, you know what we provide, and, and every OD out there has had the uh, the situation where somebody comes back with a pair of glasses they bought online. It's not right. Seg heights off. Whatever, and uh, they end up trying to fix it, 
But uh, had they been a little more bold at the outset and said, hey, look, stay here. Here's why we can help you. You can check that off your list of life's complications. And uh, it, it seems to, to work out really well. Yeah. We threw around the word last week in some meetings here, compete. And it, it, the question came up, is that too strong of a word that doctors need to compete with? And I, you know, I, I said, no way. I said, compete away because they're, they're competing against you. So if you feel like your service is better, your products are better, um, make sure that people know that. And yeah. in, in some cases too, you're just competing against even their own discretionary money. I mean, you might be, you're, when you're talking about upgrading to a, you know, higher quality, let's just say frame pair of glasses. I mean, you might be competing against a set of golf clubs or designer jeans. So yeah. compete, tell the people, you know, make sure that they understand. They don't have to buy what you're selling, but in the end, make sure that they have all the information um, to make the, to make a good decision. Yeah, no doubt. I think the most successful practices that, um, you know, I've had the privilege to work with and, and meet really over the years. Uh, those practices, they stand for something, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever they stand for, whatever your brand is, your message, not just what it says on your logo or, or what have you, but really, you know, what everybody's heart and, and soul says in that practice. But, um, you know, I see a lot of practices now going to uh, employing tools like signage and digital and all sorts of things that, that basically uh, make a case, right? Uh, why you should buy from us. So, mm -hmm. you know, I have a client I was just talking to the other day and um, they had us make some signs for them. It says, why buy your eyewear from us, right? It's on the walls, it's a check-in, it's a check-out. I mean, it's, it, that's their message. And they said, you know what, since we made the decision to uh, increase capture from 42% to a goal of 60%. That was the, the goal over an 18 month period. And they ended up at 68%, by the way. Um, they said, everything's changed. So we're not apologizing for price anymore. Mm -hmm. we're, uh, we're proud. Hey, mm -hmm. this is your optical treatment plan. You need three pair. And uh, here's, it's gonna be 1700 bucks or whatever yeah. it is. So I think that's, uh, being bold is huge. Yeah. Well, I think it's a different vibe too when you when you're honestly going into that, wanting to make sure that your patient gets the best products and the best care for them. Once you understand their need, not just this generic, we sell the best of everything, you know, the best. I don't know what that means, but when you know you understand what what they really need, but when your mindset is really focused on them, I think you can be more bold, and that will come out a lot more authentically. Because Bill, I, I just want to I'm letting you know. I know you talked about getting these online, but I really think you need these these lens options for what you're telling me that you, you need the glasses for. If I'm focused on you, I heard something recently I really liked. It said if a lot of, I think it was more, I don't think it was specific to optometry. A lot of business owners focus on the success of their business, but if sure. they spent more time focusing on the success of their customer, they, they'd yeah. lose less sleep. A lot of people lose sleep or they'd lose less sleep over um, the success of their, their business. And to some degree, the money kind of takes care of itself when my focus becomes making sure that you get the, you know. Oh, the no doubt. I mean, I can tell you personally that any time in my career that I've ever focused on money and the yeah. outcome, what's in it for me money-wise. Right, right. No, that, that messes up the f deliverable, right? Yeah. I focus on, you know, like we're focused on now, how do we take this practice from this capture to this or this sales to this and look, I never want to see anybody make changes uh, that don't result in higher patient satisfaction. Mm -hmm. You could sell a million dollars more, but if your satisfaction plummets, that's not worth it. 
So yeah. I think we can do at all. I think we can, especially now. I mean, a lot of people, look, we just went through massive trauma and um, a lot of people are bouncing back, which is great. But I think this uh, it's a good opportunity to reset and know that um, we can have increased capture. We can have increased sales uh, and just by focusing on making people's lives better. So let's make some practice owners squirm here a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> what are the biggest mistakes that you see in, 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 on the retail side? And that's a really wide open-ended question. Uh, it could be the, the, the merchandising, the training, yeah. but when you walk into an optical and go, you know, Oh my God, what, what are the things that make you do that? The things that just did huge, we'll call them mistakes, oversights sure. that really need to be addressed like yesterday. Well, um, I, personally visited uh, around 10,000 practices over the course of my career. So um, I guess I'm dating myself in that way, but. Uh, or you just really busy or both? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not that, not as many lately. And I mentioned to get out. Yeah. Uh, I've been visiting some clients lately, but uh, um, I'm going on my first plane ride next week. So I'm pretty excited in three months. Um, but in any case, you know, Steve, I think that there's some very common mistakes that uh, practices are making around the look and feel of their practice. Number one, um, our attention spans have gotten much shorter, right? We know, uh, I mean, people make that goldfish analogy, right? Three second attention span. So I think there's this, uh, there's something called the three second rule and it's really your first impression to go back to our earlier discussion um, around branding. Okay, it's not just the practice branding, but the brands that you carry. Um, nine and a half out of 10 opticals that I visit, you walk in, you look around, you see an ocean of frames, right? With no defined branding. And what that means to me as a consumer is, oh my God, there's a thousand frames over there. I don't know what I'm looking at. This could be an arduous experience. So clearly identify brand names uh, even if they're not brand names that uh, people know, if you're more of an independent um, uh, brand carrier, by all means, speak those brands uh, proudly, number one. Um, number two, bad lighting. There is uh, uh, you know, this tendency to have similar lighting throughout the whole practice, which you know, the fluorescent lighting may be fine in the clinical area, but it's definitely not gonna cut it in the optical area. Um, the third thing that is pretty outdated today is the giant uh, reception fortress, okay? Um, that was made for uh, a time when we had big CPUs and we uh, had all that. I think that you know, if we look at retail in general, that's a really important um, topic because that, that creates a barrier, right? And these reception areas where four or five people sit behind and um, can kind of create this distance uh, from the patient. I think that's something that can be off-putting. No one's gonna say, oh, you have a giant reception fortress here and that's a real, uh, you know, I feel put off. It, it's it's, it's um, subliminal. So those are some of the key things. Um, and then also, you know, just on the macro level is how modern or contemporary or relevant does this place look? Um, I walk into a lot of places, uh, um, excuse me, in uh, a variety of different markets. It could be upscale markets or downscale or whatever. And a lot of places just don't look like a place that I would really want to mm -hmm. spend my time and my money. So mm -hmm. I think that first impressions are huge. Um, 
uh, that's all important. So. Yeah. You mentioned that the number of frames initially, yeah. and I, you know, I had a, I was on the opposite end of this once where I was, I was on vacation and my glasses broke and oh. I had a prescription. So I went to this, um, this, this local optical Mm -hmm. And um, I've told this story before. I didn't yeah. mention I was an optometrist because I, I just didn't want to be treated any differently. And I didn't want, and I don't know everything about fashion. I'm like a lot of ODs that I, I lean on opticians for that. And and so I just didn't even mention it because I, I wanted, I, I needed some help. I need some guidance. Sure. So, um, but anyway, the optician came up and basically said, you know, I, I said, I broke my glasses. I'm looking at new new frames. And she basically went, okay, well, let me know when you find something you like. And, and she walked away and I called her yeah. back and I said, hey, can you, um, can you kind of point me in the right direction here? You know, what are the, the popular styles right now? What yeah. do you think yeah. I work on, on my face? And she basically just pointed out a few different brands where, you know, we're carrying this brand. That's a new line we got over there. Those, those are lady frames over there. And I really wasn't getting any help from her. And I remember thinking in that optical, wow, this is what it feels like. This is what it feels like to be overwhelmed by choices. I'll tell you. And it was so good to be on the opposite end because all I wanted, all I wanted was someone to make it simple for me. Like, I just oh, wanted yeah. someone to make it simple. Well, we all know uh, the stylist, you know, the really good stylist is worth their weight in gold, right? Yep. yep. Why is it that in a $600,000 optical, quite often, if there's three opticians, you know, there's one person doing more than half the business. Um, and that stylist, you know, I, I love to make the hairstylist analogy. Um, most people, once they have a trusted hairstylist, they are not leaving that person, mm -hmm. right? Even if their prices go up or what have you, there's a lot of loyalty. And I think that's one of the um, huge opportunities in our business is to really promote styling and mm -hmm. uh, making the process as easy as possible. Um, uh, you know, it's huge. And then also, I think there's this other part of not um, stopping when somebody is into buying. Uh, I think quite often we're into this single pair mentality as a, as an industry, like, okay, the person came out, they got their exam, they got their RX. I sold them a pair of glasses, $600 sale next. Right. Mm. Other times people are like, okay, I'm just getting started. Yeah. Uh, a very good friend of mine named Bruce. Uh, he always tells the story. Bruce has more money than uh, uh, a lot of most people. And uh, he loves eyewear. Right. And he always says, you know, me as the representative of the eye care industry, this is his friend, he, he says, you guys, what, just when I'm getting going, you're like done with me and ready to put me out the door. So stop that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes we can be the obstacle to a, a sale or a, a further sale. Yeah. As well. um, so I just got two more questions for you. Yeah. The one is the, in, I care we see a lot of training and even on this end of it, probably not enough with opticians mm -hmm. around the tactical side of the job, the, sure. the knowledge, the optics, frame adjustments, different lens options, but there's oftentimes a lack of actual selling skills mm -hmm. and actual that the, the ability to, you know, and I think do a lot of the things that we're talking about. I think selling that word scares a lot of people because they immediately assimilate it with the people who don't do it right. Or the people who are yeah. pushy or make you feel like they're twisting your arm, all the things that we would never recommend. And it's, you know, you, sometimes you get the quick sale there, but it's not sustainable, but mm -hmm. people that are really good at that, they're good at connecting with you really quickly. Yeah. They ask questions. They're genuinely curious. I found, and they're able to get out of you. What's important to you. I think they yeah. genuinely care about the other person want to help them. And by God, that's, next thing you know i mean that that 
that's selling. I mean, once it, once it converts over into them actually connecting a solution to a problem you're having or some kind of a need you want, but gosh, there's such a lack of that in optometry practices. And yet the retail side is such a big component of the success of that practice. What are your views on that? And how would they, how do you address that? Yeah, look, I spent a lot of years, especially when I was in the frame business, um, working on sales training, uh, optician sales training. Um, you know, I sold the high-end line and was responsible for its growth. And, um, and I realized after many, many years that uh, I was kind of pushing a rock uphill. Um, you know, last year I did 52 seminars. Mm -hmm. um, interesting. That's an interesting number. But uh, in any case... Um, one of the questions I asked, I have a series of 10 to 12 questions I asked, depending on the group. Uh, the one question is, how many of you consider yourselves salespeople, right? In a room of 100 people, two hands go up, right? Then I asked the question, how many of you consider yourselves uh, medical professionals who are in the service industry, right? Everybody raises both hands. So I think a lot of it has to do with perception, self-perception. Am I a salesperson? Am I not a salesperson? Um, so I think the approach is really a systematic approach. We're talking about an optometric practice with an optical. I think the, the most effective sales outcomes happen as a result of a system, right? The system of finding out as much as you can about that individual, working that into the exam, and then having the patient come out with, with a multi-pair mm -hmm. prescription, if that's appropriate for them. So that's huge. Of course, you have to have people who can connect with people, look them in the eye, smile, you know, be interested. Mm -hmm. uh, that's key. And, and that's, that's difficult to train. Obviously, mm -hmm. you can't train personality, but you can train on process. Um, you know, we're working on software right now that bridges the gap in optical. It's called Sherpa. I'll put in my little product plug. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wish we had had it out before COVID because everybody wants it. But, um, you know, to really help with workflow and help with, um, you know, reminding the patient and the optician what the doctor's uh, uh, RXs were and, and recommendations. So I think the selling part is um, uh, everyone can improve on that. But I think also a lot of it's stepping out of your comfort zone because, you know, we do what we do, right? But until we're challenged. So I encourage everybody to try, you know, to ask for that additional sale or, you know, if you're not used to selling certain uh, coatings or what have you, just mm -hmm. bundle that together. But make make the buying process easy and to connect it back with the patient needs, right? Their stated needs. You mentioned that you're on the computer all the time. Here's a solution, right? You mentioned that you're out riding your bike all the time. Here are these fantastic wraparound frames. Here is a solution. So I think that uh, we simply present the solutions. Um, you know, the other part, too, is about... Uh, financing. Um, you know, now it's a little bit tighter um, economically for some people than before. So I really encourage everybody to look at, you know, do you have uh, financing in place in-house, out-of-house, what have you? Because I would much rather see somebody get what they need. And, you know, if they need to finance it, you know, take it over time, uh, then, you know, end up with a, only a partial solution. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's a good point before too. Cause I, you know, you, you hear from different offices that do, that do things a little bit differently and not, there's, there's not always one way to be successful, but I think sometimes just trying it a different way, just trying something, ask a question a different way or ask a question you didn't ask before or go out, get out of your comfort zone a little bit and 
and, and propose something in a, in a new way and just see what the results are. I think you learn through that. Well, okay, people weren't really interested in the way I was mentioning this before, but now if, if I do it this way or if I show them a, a visual of it or, or, or some way, um, but best practices as well. And I tell, you know, the, the times I hear, uh, I know a lot of times it's an OD or maybe a manager that'll say, yeah, we've got two optician. One is really good and the other one's yeah. not, not so good how do I fix the one who's not so good? And it's like, well, why don't you have her hang out with the one that is good and see what she's doing differently and see if some of those things are transferable. Now, it may just be that she's got these qualities that the other one maybe doesn't possess, but I agree with you. I think it's one of those things, selling leadership, there's just certain things that we could probably always get better at. Might not be great at it, but I think we can, there's, there's definitely room for improvement from what I've you know, seen. Interesting too, you mentioned that about uh, opticians perhaps uh, shadowing each other. Um, I always encourage ODs to do the same. Uh, mm -hmm. I cannot tell you how many OD, uh, how many practices I visit where the ODs have never sat in on an exam, mm -hmm. right? They may have been working together for 20 years in the same space, but it's like, because uh, that level of consistency can also cause challenges for the support staff, right? Mm -hmm. So you have an optician, and I get this all the time when we do group meetings where opticians will say, oh, well, Dr. Uh, Bob does it totally different than Dr. Sally, right? And um, so that, that becomes very, very much of an opportunity to look at, you know, I want everyone to keep their own style and do what they do, but also look at it, you know, how does it affect the outcomes, mm -hmm. right? So that's, that's very interesting. But also, um, from the selling standpoint, to go back to that for a second, I, I think it's really important that we all accept the fact that we are all in sales and, uh, and then to, to wear it proudly, right? To never be ashamed of, mm -hmm. of what you're quoting or what you're offering. Because what we do in this business is uh, we, we change lives, right? And we yeah. make people better and uh, that's worth a lot of money. Yeah. Well, I think change is key. I mean, that, that's really what I've um, been giving a lot of thought to and, and, and putting time into. And even with this book, it's actually called Prescribing Change because I want to get past the point where we're just educating, but nothing happens. Nothing changes. Yeah. The only way you really change lives is you get the, the patient to change something in a way that benefits them. Otherwise, they're just passively hearing the information, but not acting on it. So you're right. We do. But I, I think we are always selling. I mean, I, and I don't mean that necessarily in the traditional sense of the word, but for us to be able to motivate other people to change in some way. And I think we should be focused on that. If you really yeah. want to make a difference in people's lives. And did you go to school just to educate people or did you really want to make a difference? If you want to make a difference, they have to do something different, but we need to learn the skills, I think, to be able to sell them on, on change and, and get oh, better. No question. You know, I, I feel like uh, I might step in some, uh, you know, hot water saying this, but um, ODs, ODs are among the nicest people I have ever met, right? As a, as a group, ODs are nice, nice, nice people. ODs recommend, but a lot of times ODs don't prescribe. And that's the difference, right? I could recommend all day long, but unless I prescribe, and mm -hmm. to the title of your book, um, I don't see the outcome. And the, the distinction I see with really high-performing practices and those who are just doing okay, um, is really this, you know, really helping to lead the patient in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that, those patients say, thank you, right? That's great. So, um, you know, I cannot tell you how many practices where we've encouraged just the change in the terminology, get rid of recommend and move to prescribe. Prescribe, yeah. Right, just that, um, that, that verbiage can make mm -hmm. all the difference.
in the world. Yeah. Well, you give yourself more confidence too. I, I, if we want to be honest with this, I think sometimes the reason it's we maybe fail to get to that point where we can confidently prescribe and hand somebody something, say, Bill, this is what you need. I think we'd be able to do that more effectively if we did the other things on the front end as well. If I took the time to better get to know you, understand you, understand what your problems are, then I'm almost getting excited about what I've got in my arsenal to be able to help you. So at the end, it's much easier for me to prescribe you something because I'm going, Bill, I got you. I got you, buddy. Here you go. This is what you need. And it feels easy. It feels genuine and authentic where the opposite of that is feeling like I haven't really gone through those steps and you know, I'm just prescribing, we prescribe the best care, you know, to everyone. And then I feel like I'm just kind of recommending, like, I don't really know what you need, Bill, for sure. But you know, there's different options. I'm recommending this because it's the top of the line. But I feel a little bit like, you know, like, I don't feel real confident with that. So I think there's a difference in approach and just that ability to connect with people, understand them. And I think that becomes easier to kind of be able to a little bit more bold, like we talked about. Yeah, yeah, be bold. I think that's, that's our um, rallying cry, you know, is to be bold and uh, be prescriptive and, um, you know, make the experience fun. I mean, yeah. this is a huge part of our work is uh, making fun environments and you know, really trying to um, uh, create spaces and experiences that play on the culture, build up the culture of the, uh, of, of the uh, practice itself. So, you know, the fun element, I can tell you that just about every top practice that I visit that's, that's really kicking, firing on all cylinders, they're having fun with mm-hmm. them, right? They're changing lives, they're, um, you know, helping people look better, see better, and, uh, and that's, that's great. I mean, that's a, what a great profession we're all in. Yeah, it's a different, it's a different culture. It's a different feel, office culture. At those oh, places. yeah. Bill, I'm going to end there on fun. Uh, let's take that. Uh, let, let's yeah. roll with that into the weekend. So um, this is this has been a lot of fun. So it's always yeah, um, yeah, we've talked a few times in the past, and I, I appreciate you uh, jumping on and, and picking your brain. And I, I know you have a lot to uh, a lot to offer people with nice. with your background. So so I really appreciate you spending some time Thank here. You much. Yeah, we really appreciate the opportunity and uh, uh, and what you're doing. Thank you for your, your contribution to the industry, Steve. Thank you as well. And so, yeah, this is uh, Dr. Steve Vargo with IDOC. And if you want to learn more about IDOC, you can go to our website, IDOC.net. That's IDOC.net. I will tell you one of our core values is better together. So if you're interested in being a part of a community of uh, progressive ODs, a a progressive growth-minded um, community. Don't hesitate to reach out. You can contact me directly, um, S-B-A-R-G-O at IDOC.net or, or just go to our website. So thanks again, Bill, and uh, you have a great weekend, and we'll catch up later. Thanks. Take care.